Hello, Tree of Life Church. Welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. We are coming to you again online. As we have noted uh, before, we um, are conducting our midweek services online, the Bible study, because of the fact that we are currently uh, without electricity in the main building and we are uh, preparing the annex uh, for our midweek services. We'll continue to keep you posted as to when uh, that will be, uh, but in the meantime, we are uh, conducting our Bible studies online. We are working uh, feverishly to make sure that we can, we can come into the annex for our midweek services, but we'll keep you posted uh, on that. So do stay tuned. We're so thankful that you're joining us tonight. Uh, tonight we are actually in the annex for our uh, midweek Bible study uh, online teaching uh, as the main building is without electricity. Uh, we had the generator uh, this past Sunday and we'll have the generator this coming Sunday. And we look forward to the 4th of July, uh, having a, a very special celebration service at 11 a.m. at Grace Point Church with uh, Pastor and Sister Sizemore. I will be speaking in that service, and uh, we're looking forward to having a great time worshiping together with the Grace Point Church. Tonight, we're going to continue our series, Walking Through the Bible, Walking Through the Word of God. And uh, last week, we left off with Israel being in Egypt, Israel in Egypt. Tonight we're going to talk with you about when God called Moses. When God called Moses. This was a very uh, special moment in the scriptures when the Lord called Moses and dealt with him, uh, revealing himself to Moses. This was a very powerful experience. And we're going to begin from Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. We want to touch on several things related to this portion of Scripture where God called Moses. Even in this fourth verse of Exodus chapter 3, we see that the Lord said to him, Moses, Moses. He called to him twice. When God calls someone twice, it's very significant. When God speaks once, it is significant. But when he speaks twice, there is an emphatic pronunciation of God's calling upon their life. In fact, it can even be said that it is a twofold witness. The Bible said, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. The Bible says that we receive his word line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little, here a little, there a little. There is something special about when God speaks two times. And right out of the gate of Moses' call of God upon his life, God said, Moses, Moses. Similarly to the way he said, 
Abraham, Abraham, or Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? God said to Moses, Moses, Moses. And Moses responded and said, here am I. Now, if you'll remember Moses, in our last study, we talked about the fact that he was running for his life. He had, he had looked to see if anybody was watching as he observed an Egyptian uh, taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. And he looked to see if anybody was watching. And when nobody was watching, he went to defend the Hebrew slave. And he ended up killing the Egyptian taskmaster. Later, when he went to break up a, an argument and a contention between two Hebrews, uh, one looked at him and said, are you going to kill us? Just like you did that Egyptian taskmaster. Moses realized that it had been known that he had perpetrated this deed. He realized that it was something that he would have to leave Egypt over. And he did. He fled for his life. And he fled knowing that Pharaoh was going to come after him if he were found. He was basically a fugitive from Egypt. And he ended up on the backside of the desert keeping his father-in-law's flock, his father-in-law Jethro, keeping his flock. And his father-in-law was a priest of Midian. And there Moses stood on the backside of the desert. And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in the midst of the flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and the bush was burning, but the bush was not being consumed. And this was, a, this was an amazing sight to Moses as he saw the bush was burning, but not being consumed. And this is the way the fire of God can work. The fire of God can burn without consuming. And yet the Lord is a consuming fire. But when he looked at this, it was a miracle. And he said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. And when he did, the Lord called unto him, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, the Lord said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the ground whereupon thou standest is holy ground. The Lord was letting him know, look, I don't want you to come any closer without taking your shoes off. Now, I want to take a moment and just point out in this particular point of the story of Moses being called of God. Sometimes when we hear this, that God said to Moses, take off your shoes, you're standing upon holy ground. We kind of think of it in terms of God just rebuking Moses. Don't come in here with those shoes on your feet. Take off your shoes. The place upon where you stand is holy ground. But I want you to understand why God really wanted him to take off his shoes. God wanted him to take off his shoes because they weren't needed upon holy ground. Why did he have shoes on in the first place? He had shoes on in the first place because of the fact that he was a shepherd. And so his shoes protected him from thorns and thistles and rocks protected him from snakes and scorpions, and, and now he's in the presence of God. He's not in any place where he would be harmed. So take off your shoes. The place whereon you stand is holy ground. I, I want you to know that when you're standing on the holy ground of God's presence, there is no need for you to be guarded when you are in the presence of the Lord. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. 
And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You can stand in the presence of Almighty God, stand upon that holy ground and know that you are going to be okay. You can be unguarded in the presence of the Lord. You can let down your defenses, open up your heart, open up your soul and say, Lord, speak to me, have your way in my life. And that's where Moses found himself. When the call of God comes upon our life, it's important to lay down the defenses, to let down the guard. Throughout life, we end up raising a lot of defenses. We've been hurt. We've been wounded. We, lay, we, we raise up our guard in a lot of ways and in a lot of instances. But we can let down that guard and should and must let down that guard when we are in the presence of the Lord. That way, God can speak directly to us and perform a miracle in our life just the way he is about to in the life of Moses as Moses stands before this amazing bush that is burning but is not being consumed. And this miracle that God was going to do, God had to heal Moses of a lot of things. Moses, again, was a fugitive. And yet God was going to call him and anoint him and lead him to go back to Egypt and declare liberty to the people of Israel and deliver them from the bondage of Egypt. As you may recall from our last lesson, that Egypt was now a place where Israel not only lived, but a place where Israel was held captive. And God was going to deliver his people from the bondage of the Egyptians. So God begins to speak to Moses and tells him, listen, I have... I have heard the cry of my people, and I have seen the affliction uh, that has been brought upon them by the Egyptians, and I am going to do something about it. I'm going to deliver them. What God is going to do is he's going to lift them up out of their captivity, and he's going to bring them to the land of promise, the land that he promised to their fathers. And God is going to use Moses to do this, the land that he promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and to Joseph. And Joseph even knew that this was coming because when Joseph died, he said to his sons, listen, there's going to come a day when God's going to call us up out of Egypt. We're not going to be here forever. And when that day comes, I want you to take the bones that you bury now as he passed away I want you to take them with you when you go. Don't leave me in Egypt. I want to be buried with my fathers. And so it is that Moses is receiving this call of God upon his life. I have a purpose for you, Moses. I have a call that is specific to you. You are going to go and tell my people that they are to be delivered, and you're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says to God, and this is important, he says, who am I? And I want you to think about that for just a moment. Who am I? That was the question. And that's really the question all of us have. Who are we? Who am I? Who am I that God would call me? Who am I that God would use me? I know my past. Moses knew his past. His past had become quite sketchy, particularly because he was guilty of killing that Egyptian taskmaster. Moses looked at his own life and thought, who am I that God could use me? Who am I that God could, could send me to Pharaoh? And who am I that Pharaoh will listen? 
Who am I that Israel will listen? These were all questions that were going over and over in Moses' mind. In fact, he even said to, Mo, to God, Moses said to God, who will I say has sent me when I go as you have instructed me to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go, to tell Israel that I am here to deliver them from their captivity? Who will I even tell them has sent me? And I love what God said to him. God reveals to Moses a name of God that he didn't reveal to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. We find out in the sixth chapter of the book of Exodus that not even Abraham, Isaac, nor Jacob had known this particular name of God, but God revealed it to Moses. In verse number 13 of Exodus chapter 3, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. That name, I am, is the name Haya, and that name Haya means to exist. It means self-existent. It is the name of Yahweh. It is the name of Jehovah. It is the name of the Lord. His self-existence. This is one of the reasons why he's worthy to be praised, because he is self-existent. Unlike the gods of other nations and the gods of other religions, we did not create him. He created us. We don't make him in our image. He makes us in his image. It's the beautiful thing, one of the many beautiful things about God, that he does not require any creator. He is the creator. He is self-existent. I am that I am. And this is what he said to Moses. In fact, by saying, I am that I am, he was actually pointing to the day of Messiah, when Messiah would enter the earth, when he, God himself, would become a man. I am, that's, that's God. That I am, that is another reference to the same God. And, and that is exactly what you have when you look at Jesus Christ. Not a second person, the same God. The same God that thundered on Mount Sinai. The same God that created heaven and the earth. The same God that delivered Daniel out of the lion's den has now wrapped himself in a robe of flesh and walks among humanity. We behold his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the word made flesh. He is the I am that I am. He is the mighty God in Christ. And, and Moses is receiving a revelation of the self-existent God. And, and this revelation that he is receiving has to do with the fact that not only is he the self-existent God, but that he is the self-existent God who will save his people. Oh, hallelujah, it's a beautiful truth. And this is, the, this is what emboldens Moses. You may ask yourself, what would make Moses go back to Egypt? where he's wanted for murder? What would make Moses go back to Egypt where he's a fugitive for his life? 
What would make Moses go back to Egypt, enter into Pharaoh's court, the most powerful man in the world at that time, as far as the world was concerned, and, and declare defiantly, let God's people go? What would make Moses do that? I'll tell you, he had a revelation of the name of God. He had a revelation of the mighty God in Christ. When you get a revelation of who God is, it will change your life and it will give you a holy boldness. Because not only did Moses receive a revelation of who God is, but remember Moses asked the question, who am I? And God says, I am. This is an important thing I want to point out. Anytime God places his call upon your life or calls you to do something very special, and he has called each of you to do something very special, to serve him, to love him, to love others, to love your spouse, to love your children. Amen. He's called each and every one of us to do something very special, to reach the lost. He has called us to go into the highways and byways and compel people to come to Jesus Christ. This is a high calling of God. And so he has called each of us to do something very special. And when he does, what do we say? Without fail, who am I? How, who, what do I have to offer? How can I ever do something special for God? Who am I? And the answer to that question is, I am. That's God's answer to that question. I am. Because it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about the Lord. The, the answer to the question, who am I, is forget about me. Look at who God is. God is love. God is one. God is all-powerful. God is wisdom. God is perfect peace. God is the God of all grace. God is the God of all peace. God is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. God is the Comforter. God is our salvation. When you know who God is, it puts into perspective who you are. Because as long as God is God, then it doesn't matter who you are. You, knowing who he is, can rest in the identity that God is your father and everything is going to be all right. This is the importance of having a revelation of the name of the Lord. Let me remind you, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ, which is the name of God revealed. So the name Jesus is Jehovah, just as it was in this experience Moses had with the burning bush, taking his shoes off, saying, here am I, Lord. Speak to me, Lord. And, and when he does, he hears the name of God, I am. The name Jesus is Jehovah, salvation. Jehovah, salvation. The Lord had revealed himself to Israel in many different ways. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord is our righteousness. Jehovah Nissai, the Lord is our banner. Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord is our sanctification. But Jehovah Ashua or Yeshua is Jesus, which means Jehovah is my salvation. All of these attributes of Jehovah, all of these abilities of Jehovah, all of these qualities of Jehovah can be found wrapped into one name. Hallelujah. And that name is Jesus. The Lord 
is my salvation. I'm telling you, when Moses got a revelation of the name of God, I am that I am, it put it all in perspective for him who he is. I don't have to worry about who am I when I know the I am. Praise the Lord. I, because I know who God is, now I know, hey, I'm loved. I'm protected. Hallelujah. And by the grace of God and through obedience to his word, I'm saved by the power of the Lord. So God and Moses are having this amazing conversation, this, this, this life-changing dialogue that takes place upon this mountain and this Mount Horeb, and he is speaking to the bush that is burning but not being consumed, speaking to the angel of the Lord in the midst of the fire, and, and it is the Lord that is speaking to him. And the Lord is telling him, go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and I will lead them to a land of promise. Now, Moses continues to have these challenges in his own heart and mind as to whether or not he is capable of doing what the Lord has called him to do. And I want you to know today, you are more than capable of doing anything that the Lord has called you to do. The Lord, if he called you to it, he'll qualify you to do it. Hallelujah. Somebody said something along the lines of, God doesn't call the qualified, God qualifies the called. And that's the truth. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, he wasn't, looking, he wasn't looking at them and seeing something in them that made him think, oh, I could really use that. Let me, let me bring them to my, to my inner circle and, and let them do for me what, what I need them to do for my kingdom. No, 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 no. That's, it wasn't what they had inside of them. It's what he was going to give them. It was what he was going to impart to them. So you don't have to think about whether or not you have something great to offer, God has something great to offer. Let him give it to you. Receive it in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what Moses had to learn. It's not about who you are, Moses. It's about who God is. Who am I? I am is the answer to that question. It's not about you. It's about God. Amen. You may not think you have the ability. So be it. God has the ability. You may not think that you have it all figured out. So be it. God has it all figured out. Our confidence is not in our flesh. Our confidence is in the Lord. And so we do what the Lord called us to do without fear. We serve him without fear. And I want you to notice that, that Moses said to the Lord again. He said, oh Lord, my Lord, verse 10 of Exodus chapter 4, I am not eloquent. Notice that. Neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Lord, I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Now remember, Moses had spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. Remember that Moses had spent a good deal of time running for his life, afraid that he would get tracked down and killed, afraid that he would be found out for his past mistakes and failures, and feeling like life was basically over. He was just surviving on the backside of the desert. So in that 40-year period, Moses had become one who was slow of speech and of a slow tongue, one who was not eloquent. Now I want to turn your attention to the book of Acts because Stephen, the great preacher, is preaching 
And he, in his preaching, he says something that I think is worth noticing. Acts chapter 7 and verse 22. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And notice this part. And was mighty in words and in deeds. He was mighty in words. At one time in his life, he was mighty in words. But now, as he stands before the Lord, he is not eloquent. He is slow of speech and of a slow tongue. But in his younger life, he was mighty in words and in deeds. Verse 23 of Acts 7, when he was full 40 years, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Stephen is giving the history of when Moses visits his brethren, the children of Israel, seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him, avenged him, smote the Egyptian. He supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Moses was ready to deliver them right then, but they were not ready to be delivered. And so Moses goes to the backside of the desert, and for the next 40 years, Moses is dealing with this situation that has spiraled out of control. And he's really just kind of there waiting to die. And the Bible says that he was not eloquent at that point. But before the trouble started, he was mighty in words. Before life got out of control, he was mighty in words. Before he had something in his past that haunted him, he was mighty in words. But now enough time has passed and he's not mighty in words any longer. He's not eloquent by his own admission. He's slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Now, that teaches us something. That teaches us that life has a way of changing us. Life has a way of intimidating us. Mistakes and failures have a way of putting a lid on us, shutting us down, slowing our speech, making us more hesitant, taking our eloquence from us. And that was Moses. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses was capable of speaking with mighty words. But, but as he stood before the Lord, he explained to the Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm not eloquent. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? God said, I have all power. I have all power. Go, and I will be with thy mouth, and I will teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. This is when God told Moses to let Aaron speak. It came out of an anger of God that was kindled against Moses and said, if you don't have faith enough that I will be with your mouth, then have Aaron speak for you. But Moses really didn't need Aaron to speak for him. He could do it himself. Empowered by the Lord, God will give you power over your insecurities. God will give you power over the things that have resulted as a consequence of past actions. God will give you power over it. And he will give you the strength to fulfill the call of God in your life. When God commissioned Moses and called Moses to do this, he began to show him miracles. One of the miracles that he showed him 
was he said, take your staff that's in your hand and cast it to the ground. Moses cast it to the ground and the staff turned into a serpent. When he did, Moses really, he, he, he actually kind of jumped back and Moses fled from before it. And, and, and he, he, he jumped back and the Lord said, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And when he took it by the tail, he lifted it up from the earth and it became a staff again. Now, this is important. And I want to, I want to just take a moment and point out how the, how the Old Testament uh, references certain things concerning Christ. Jesus said, the scriptures testify of me. Search them and you'll see me in the scriptures. And here's a case where we do see the ministry of Jesus Christ. Even as Moses took that staff and cast it down to the ground, it became a serpent and Moses fled from before it. And then God said, take it by the tail and lift it up from the ground. He took it by the tail, lifted it up from the ground, and it became a staff again. You see in this a picture of Christ, and I'll tell you how. Jesus, the Bible said, was made to be sin for us. He who knew no sin, he was totally innocent, totally pure, but he was made to be sin for us. That's important. He became the embodiment of sin upon the cross. When, he's, when he was on the cross, it was like all the sins of mankind were on the cross. That's why he was beaten so brutally. That's why he was wounded so badly. That's why it pleased the Father that he should be bruised. Not because God is cruel, but because that's, he became our sin, nailed to that cross. When he became our sin, nailed to that cross, he was as grotesque a thing as could possibly be. He became every liar's lie, every murderer's murder. He became every hater's hate. He became every hypocrite's hypocrisy. He became sin who knew no sin. The, the embodiment of the sinful image in the scriptures is the serpent because it was the serpent that beguiled Eve in the Garden of Eden. And that serpent was cursed. And the Lord said, you will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman will crush your head. This was a reference, of course, to Calvary. The heel was bruised in the sense that Jesus was wounded, but, but the serpent was crushed <clears throat> in the sense that the Lord overcame him through the blood that he shed upon Calvary's cross. The serpent so typifies the crucifixion of Christ that Jesus, in his preaching in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, he referred back to an Old Testament story where venomous vipers broke out among the children of Israel and were biting them, and every person that was bitten had venom coursed through their body. And the only way they could be saved is if Moses had fashioned a brazen serpent and lifted that brazen serpent up for all to see. And everybody who could see the brazen serpent lifted up, they would be healed. They would be saved. Jesus referenced that in John chapter 3 when he said, Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up when he was talking about Calvary's cross. And that's when he said, and if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have ever, ever, everlasting life. The serpent was the picture of sin. 
Jesus said, as that picture of sin was lifted up, that's the same way I'm going to be lifted up. And he was lifted up as the picture of sin, as the embodiment of sin. He became sin. Who knew no sin? So when this serpent of Exodus chapter 4 enters the picture, you see a picture of Jesus. Because just as that staff that Moses held in his hand was cast to the ground, in a similar way, God, who is all-powerful, sovereign, has all authority, just as that staff represents authority that Moses holds in his hand, and that staff comes down to the earth just as God came down to the earth. And when the staff touched the dust of the ground, that staff became a serpent. When God came down into this earth, God took upon himself the form of a man, the form of a servant. He took upon himself poverty, that through his poverty we might become rich. And he who knew no sin was made to be sin, was lifted up like a serpent in the wilderness. And that serpent, when Moses dropped it to the ground, the staff turned into a serpent. When it turned into a serpent, Moses fled from before it. Here we see a picture of how the disciples reacted to the crucifixion of Jesus. When Jesus was the cursed one hanging on the tree, when Jesus was made to be sin for us, when Jesus was the grotesqueness of all of our sin, the disciples fled from the cross, all but John and those ladies with John. But the rest of the disciples fled from before him the same way Moses fled from before the, the grotesque nature of the serpent. But the Lord said, raise it up from the ground. And when Moses raised it up from the ground, it went from being a serpent back to being a staff again. And that's exactly what we see in terms of Jesus raising from the dead. God became a man so that he could be made to be sin for us. But when he rose from the dead, ladies and gentlemen, he rose with power and with authority. Hallelujah. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. So we see a picture of, of Christ in this miracle that the Lord showed Moses with his staff. We see the same uh, we see the same thing happen in the next miracle that the Lord showed Moses. He said, take thy hand and put it in thy bosom. He said, pluck it out of the bosom. And when he did, it was turned leprous as snow. It was, it was white with leprosy. It was a terrifying, terrifying sight. He said, now put it in to your bosom. He put it in, pull it back out, pull it back out. And it was made to be as flesh again. It was healed, completely healed. The Lord was showing Moses exactly what he was going to do for his people, what Messiah would do for his people. It's interesting because in the book of Psalms, the Bible talks about the right hand of God. Pluck out thy right hand, O God. And that's what we understand about the ministry of Jesus Christ. The ministry of Jesus Christ is the right hand of God. That's why the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of God, not because there's a separate person at the right hand of God. No, no, there is no God beside the Lord. He knows not any. He alone is the Lord and Savior. There's nobody beside God. No, that right hand is symbolic of the power of God at work in the earth through Jesus, the Messiah. And what is he going to do? He's going to take those leprous conditions, those sinful conditions. Again, leprosy is a type of sin. It corrupts the body. 
the way sin corrupts the soul. But the Lord showed him exactly what he's going to do. When the right hand of God is at work, that leprosy is going to be made completely whole. And that's exactly what happened through the ministry of Jesus Christ. Did you know that just as God took Moses on that little journey in that interchange on Mount Horeb of seeing the rod turn into a snake and the snake be lifted up and come back to a rod and that hand being set in his bosom and made to be leprous and set back in and made to be whole. God taking Moses on these little experiences and these little excursions. In all of this, he was teaching him the power of God. He was teaching him the grace of God. He was teaching him the plan of God. That ought to give you and I hope and comfort, knowing that when we go through challenges in life, and when there are certain things God allows us to experience, it is for the purpose of showing us the power of God, the grace of God, the plan of Almighty God. Hallelujah. All things work together for the good. To them that love God and are the called, the called, the called, just as God called Moses, the called according to his purpose. Praise the Lord. God gave Moses a very important task, a very important responsibility. And Moses was to see to it that this was executed according to the ways of God. And what an amazing miracle unfolded. And we'll get into that in our next Bible lesson. We'll get into Moses approaching Pharaoh. We'll get into the plagues and what they represent. And how God worked through all of it to deliver the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of their captivity, to bring them into a land of promise, even though they stayed in the wilderness for 40 years. That was, that was how it ended up being. But God had a plan to take them into their promise soon after leaving Egypt. And we'll get into all of that. I do want to share with you that even as God called Moses... Even as God called Moses, the Bible says that he did not circumcise his son. His wife, Zipporah, ended up circumcising his son. She really despised the act and didn't understand it. And the Bible says that the Lord would have killed Moses that night if his wife had not taken it upon herself to perform this act of obedience and act of covenant that was necessary. So here was Moses being called of God to do something great, and he was ready to do it. But he, for, he, he ignored and neglected some of the simple acts of obedience and covenant that God required, and God was going to take his life until Zipporah stepped in and took care of it for Moses. This, this is a lesson to us. No matter the call of God that is on your life, it is important that you be obedient to the Word of God that you are in covenant with the Lord. You can't expect to be called of God and then disobey Him and everything be okay. You can't expect to be called of God and then not be in covenant with Him. Being called of God does not excuse you from being obedient to God. It actually requires that you be obedient to God, that you hear His voice, that you know Him, that you have relationship with Him. 
Later we'll get into the fact that God wanted all the children of Israel to come into the holy mountain and to have an experience like Moses had, even though they would not. But that is God's desire for Israel. That is God's desire for you, for your family. You can't send Moses up into the mountain to receive your word from the Lord. No, God wants to have a personal relationship with you. God wants to call you. And I'm thankful today that God calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Don't ever think that by living for God, you're missing out. You're not missing out. You've been called out. To God be the glory for that. Thank you for joining us tonight. Would you bow your head with us as we pray and ask God to bless his word in our heart that we can receive it and grow by it in the name of the Lord. Bow your head with me if you will. Lord, I thank you for every individual that's tuning in right now, whether it's live or whether it's later. I pray that the word of God will get into our hearts and help us to hear your voice, help us to step into the calling, step into the anointing of the Lord. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name, to not be afraid. Help us to be obedient. Help us to see the power and the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ in everything that happens in our life. Help us to know the name of God, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous runneth into it and is safe. We thank you, Lord, for this. We give you the praise for this. We worship your holy name, O Lord. Deliver us from insecurity. Deliver us from our backward way of thinking and help us, Lord, to step forward into the holy boldness of your spirit to go forward in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, and give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Let God call you, hear the call, heed the call, and obey his holy word. You'll never regret that. God bless you in Jesus' name.